Yo fam. Hey, before we get started, uh, I want to ask a small favor. I'm doing a big push for ratings and reviews on iTunes. So even if you listen to us on another platform like Spotify or Anchor, um, I'm wondering if you'd go give us a rating and review. If you think we're awesome, give us a five. If you think we suck, give us a one. Um, And a number of you have been listening and aren't subscribed to the podcast, which means you don't get notifications when the podcast come out. So um, so do me a favor and, and click that subscribe button and we'd love to hear back from you and uh, thanks for listening enjoy the podcast holler boom it worked hey hey what do you know well hey thank you for um uh, coming on myrick um what up fam this is um i would love to say uh, a friend of mine but this is actually a family member of mine imagine that um we uh connected on facebook and we interact quite often and uh uh, myrick's got some experience in celebrate recovery and just a just a great background uh in story and i would just like her to come on and share about that and we can talk through it so myrick why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself my name is myrick and we are connected because of the Barretts. That's my maiden name and last name is Lejeune. And I currently live in San Marcos, Texas. And I was a Celebrate Recovery uh, ministry leader for seven and a half years. And also a member of um, Al-Anon. And I was the leader for Al-Anon for three and a half years. Nice. I um, one, one of the things that kind of had me... Um interested in the conversation is you know i i've been aware of celebrate recovery for a long time it's not um you know i always tell people i'm spiritual not religious i'm I'm, i've come a long way in my recovery from you know i couldn't even hear the word god or jesus or any anything that even resembled it and today um I can kind of take what what resonates and and leave what doesn't. And I just thought it would be a great opportunity to get uh, your perspective and just and probably more uh, family slash celebrate recovery leaning because the the amount of people that really identify with the church or the a particular form of religion that would just be a great fit um, in a celebrate recovery. And then on top of that, Myrick is where, where are the commonalities? Like what are the similarities that we can all kind of work together and, um, and help support people that are asking for help. Uh, and so that's, that's why I wanted to, to bring you on. Why don't you start off a bit with, uh, with a little bit of your story and how you ended up either an Al-Anon or celebrate and, um, we'll dive in there. Well, um, I guess it was 2008, I had a friend of mine that was an alcoholic. Actually, as I, I was introduced to Al-Anon very briefly through my daughter. And uh, but this friend of mine, he was going to AA meetings and just really struggling and much, much younger than me, someone that um, I worked with. And I wanted to help him. Does that sound mm-hmm. familiar? Yeah. So, yeah. So he suggested that I go to Al-Anon and see what they have to say. So I said, okay, that's what I would do. 
Well, I found out real quick that the best gift that you can give an alcoholic or, or uh, someone that's NA or NA or AA is leave them alone. Because, <laughs> as I mean, that was the first thing that I'm going, okay, so why am I here? He says, we're going to teach you skills about you. And we're going to teach you skills about how to deal with other people in your life. But you have to, first of all, realize you've got to get out of their life. You cannot change them. And it's mm -hmm. major codependency in family and friends of alcoholics. We all have that. Um, we, want, we want to heal. We want to uh, take care of. We want to nurture. And that's the worst thing that you can do. You cannot be a mother to everybody. And we are definitely not God. And God stole my pedestal. He worked it out. <laughs> and he said, you know what? If you don't let me be in charge, I can't help you or anybody else in your life. You're going to have to let go and let me be who I am. Oh, okay. So my church, I had just, I was in about a mm, year and a half, I guess, into Al-Anon. And I did work my program. And there is a big difference between going to meetings and working the program and our church decided that they were going to start a celebrate recovery and it is a 12-step program based on the 12 steps of AA but it's also based on the Beatitudes which are all 12 steps are biblically sound they That's are right. they, they actually they actually came out of the uh, the Oxford group and they used to they used to prop their old, uh, uh, Dr. Bob used to prop his old knee up and, and read out of the Bible before the big book came around. So, yeah, that's a, uh, that, that I always tell people it's a, it's a trick. You know, if, if they would have told me this was a, uh, a, a Christian biblically based program coming in, again, I actually went into Narcotics Anonymous originally, but I would have ran for the hills. So they tricked me into it. They tricked me into this relationship with God. I'm really grateful, but, but that is a good, uh, that is a good point. So uh, when they did that, they were reaching out for leaders, people that would be in, in helping lead. And I'm thinking, okay, I that because I, I am a leader. I have been through the 12 steps. So that was my introduction into it. And God actually dumped Celebrate Recovery into my lap because as a ministry leader, because the people that were actually running it, mm -hmm. they backed out of it. And I, mm. and I was, I was the women's leader and everybody else kind of filtered through the, on the, because they didn't want to reveal anything. They were mm. all the, the, the incoming potential leaders were all okay. They didn't need any help. They just True. wanted to help others. And I said, that's not what this program does. That is not what this program is about. And we all have stuff to work through. And unless you can talk about your stuff, you can't help other people because right. we are not alone in this world. And everybody needs to know that we're OK, just as we are with all of our flaws and with all of our goodness. And the two guys that actually started it, they backed out of it and I ended up with it. Well, I'd never <laughs> I was unreal. I'd never been to a Celebrate Recover meeting before. So I started going to meetings. And the gentleman that adopted me, he scooped me up underneath his wings. 
helped me get into uh, different leadership um, teachings and all of that kind of stuff. And mm -hmm. I, I said, well, I'm sure one of these days the pastor is going to come up with somebody that's going to run this. He goes, Myrick, God, you're it. You're it. <laughs> Our ministry leader. And I just fell apart. I was so humbled and I was just so excited and so scared. But I'm a natural teacher. I love people. So I don't have uh, a shy bone in my body. And I started pressing in and I started teaching. And it just continued my healing that I started with, with uh, Al-Anon. Except God mm -hmm. is in the middle of this program. So it's an anonymous mm -hmm. program. It's all about being non-judgmental. There's no criticism. There's no judgment. There's no um, backbiting. There's no gossip. There's no anything. Because we are all in this same boat. And I always used to tell people, so we are on the same boat, but we all have a different paddle. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. I think I think that's one thing that I really, really try to advocate for and really try to 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 drive home with people that are either, you know, skeptical or kind of need some help, kind of open, you know, they're kind of dipping their toe in the water and the power of the group. And what I mean by that, whether it's a personal development mastermind, it's a recovery group it's whatever kind of group it is the power of the group when you tell something that is embarrassing shameful open you know uh, whatever the case may be when you tell something intimate it gives me permission to do the same thing and there is a dynamic that happens and it's not a one-size-fits-all and some people you know need more than the the support groups but you know, there's a big difference of being an equal and we're all in here together and we're all similar versus you get a teacher getting up that's going to kind of help people and tell people what to do. It, it's just a it's just such a different dynamic, a group, uh, uh, an intimate group like a celebrate or like a um, uh, like a 12 step does. And it just people go deep quick Um so anyway, yeah, that's a that's a really uh, I'm glad you said that. It's a good point. Yeah, I've, um, I love to tell my story and uh, I'm not afraid and I'm no longer embarrassed or humiliated. I'm a walking testimony and um, I have touched many, many different avenues in my life. And just to give you quick, a quick uh, look into my life. I did not know until Celebrate Recovery that my dad was a closet alcoholic. I did not mm. know that. I did not know that all my feelings that I had as a child of needing to find love and needing to be loved were false because I was very loved as a child very loved as a child, very supported. I, was, I never heard the words, you'll never amount to nothing. Never heard them. Mm. I did always hear, you can be anything you want to be and you can mm. be anything you want to do. And so long as you put out 100%, no one can ask any more from you than that. And that is up mm. to you. Always positive. But daddy and mama were older and mm. 
daddy was the kind of person I see it now. He was very ADHD and you could put him inside of a building for very long. He was going to get out. (laughs) He was. My mother was very sick all of my life. They were both 40 years old and I was. uh, Mother was always sick. So she only went to one concert of mine. That was all. Mm. That was it. I was band. I was in the choir. I had my own gospel quartet. I was on bowling leagues. I was so busy that I, I just, and I didn't realize that busy meant running. I was running. Mm. And I was running just as I could. And I want to make sure that you understand that workaholics, people that are pushing their kids into baseball, football, being cheerleader, or whatever it is. It's a mechanism of hiding. And mm. some now that you have to slow down, get by yourself, and find out what are you hiding from? What is the issue? Yeah. What, what is the root of the problem? Well, and, you know, you, and bring, a, you bring up a, a good point, Myrick, and we talked a little bit about this before, but I'm glad you're really touching on it, which is, how addiction shows up differently in so many people's life, whether, uh, whether it's, uh, we were talking about, I've done, been doing a lot of work in ACA and they talk about, you know, the family that has mental health in the home, workaholic in the home, a sick parent in the home, uh, strict military, strict, uh, you know, religious backgrounds in the home, perfectionist type, even though alcohol might not be present or it might be in the closet, it, it, uh, it breeds children that are destined to kind of recreate that in their life, whether it's with trying to be busy and run away for our feelings, eating our feelings, uh, you know, trying to, to sleep away our feelings with others. Um, and, and so that's, it was interesting and I, I'd like to get into it down, down, uh, later on, but, once I started digging into my past about my parents, my grandparents, my great grandparents and realizing the sick family member, the mental health, the workaholics, the overeating, the alcohol, it's just so now you go, oh, my God, I didn't even I thought that was good parenting. I thought it was hard work. I thought it was a re, being a responsible, productive member and having high standards. And those are all also true. But there's a line between high standards and and running from feelings or being a a good parent good supportive parent and being a controlling manipulative parent that's using shame and guilt against you know someone to get what they want um what was your out of curiosity what were you said your mom was sick a lot what was she uh sick with mama had diabetes and then Mm -hmm. um she was in a car accident and back then they could not do um any kind or they wouldn't really do any kind of repair surgery and she had a whiplash so her back was out of whack and her neck was out of whack Mm. and she really needed to have surgery but being a a diabetic they would not do that surgery so she became crippled and um she also um when i was eight when when uh, um i was 23 years old when she died and she was 63 you know, that's very similar to, uh, uh, to Bob's, which is your aunt. Is that correct? Yes. Your aunt, my father's mother, who had polio and was paralyzed. And I don't know that the time frame, but I do remember 
her being paralyzed and she died when my father was in his twenties and you, you could probably give a little more detail behind that, but that was something that rang true to me is having a sick parent. I, I'm at, I was all, I was just telling someone, imagine uh, trying to mother three wild kids and you're paralyzed. You know, you better get real good with your manipulation, your shame, your guilt. You better lay it on thick so you can get them to do what you need to do. Well, I know one thing, and uh, she was Aunt Bobby to me, and um, I loved visiting with them, and all I saw was in. I saw Fowler pitching in. I saw all three kids pitching in. And Bobby and Bobby was in her chair and she was giving orders and she would tell people she would whoever's in the kitchen, she was giving instructions. Whoever's doing laundry, she was mm. giving instructions. Yeah. Whatever it was, but everybody worked as a team. And I always thought that was amazing. And there was a it was a there was a lot of love in that house. I have a sixth sense about me and I've always had and I always used to love going and being with your uh, with your dad and all his siblings and Aunt Bobby and Uncle Fowler. I just I loved being there and I was probably always the first one in the car when they said we're going to go see uh, Aunt Bobby. But I was in the car because that's where I wanted to go and um, I loved them. And I saw that, and I will never forget watching that teamwork. Now, I don't know what all went on when I wasn't there, but I know what I saw was there. And I didn't see any disgruntlement. I didn't see any, I can't believe this. I've got to do this again, blah, blah, blah. I never heard any of that. I saw nothing but positiveness and a lot of, lot of love for their mother. A lot of love for their mother. You know, that's it's interesting about that, too, because as much work as I'm trying to do, um, it's for myself, but I'm digging through my family is, um, you know, like I don't think, you know, I'm I feel very fondly about my childhood. My parents did a great job. They stayed married. They taught me good morals and lessons and um you know, they were supportive in, in a lot of ways. And, you know, there's a line in, in one of the books I read, and it talks about how, you know, often our parents are charismatic and they're supportive and they're in there. There's a lot of love in the house, but the whether it's behind closed doors, it's a little bit different story or it's just what they and I, I'm, I'm throwing myself in there uh, like where's the line between what's, what's discipline and what is, uh, um, having a counter effect. Like, I don't want to say necessarily abuse, but what is it that I think is out of love that's actually manipulative. It's actually shaming. It's actually, it's the opposite of what I think it is. And, and thinking of, you know, I even think of my mom, I've talked to her about this you know, she did the best she could with what she had. And she did a really good job uh, compared to where she was raised. She was raised in a children's home. So who taught her how to be a mother? Who taught her how to be loving and passionate as a, as a mother? You don't really know that. So that's actually what dry, what resonates with me and what you said about your family and about my father's uh, uh, family is 
it kind of shatters this idea that that drug addicts and alcoholics and codependents only come from shattered, ugly backgrounds. That's just not true. Absolutely. It is not true. And um, I think one of the most important things that I've learned through Celebrate Recovery is that children, because that's what started for me, children don't know how to open up. I never knew I never knew what I needed. I needed my mother and my daddy to be in that audience. I needed them to mm. hear me play my, uh, my horn. I needed them to watch me sing. I needed them to be part of watch me on the football field. Daddy always told me, he said, I could hear you. He's sitting at the house listening to the ball game at a high school ball game <laughs> on the uh, um, on the. Uh, the radio. Uh, and we also played oh. for uh, the Houston Oilers. So we did half times for them. He said, I could hear you. I knew it was you. He said, I was right there. What? But he never was somebody <laughs> in the stands. And because of that, whatever that ill piece of me that fell apart, the song um, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places. That was my, yeah. that was my theme song, and I did. And I was searching, I was searching for, and I always went for the underdog. And I didn't even realize there was an underdog, but people who um, who weren't exactly like me, like like I was better. And I see that now mm. was pride because I went to church and I didn't drink and I didn't smoke, but I was sure willing to be with you. Just a long time <laughs> love me. I wanted to be loved. Yes. And I, I, I wanted that person, whatever was inside of them that was wrong, quote unquote. So I wanted them to change that because if they changed that, then that meant that they loved me. Well, that's just. So they changed it for you. Yeah. And that's not love. That's not yeah. what love is. So in other words, be there for me. Um, I did not know that, that that's what it was, but that little piece of me was broken as a child. But as a child, I did mm. not know to say, you know what, people, I really need for you to be in my concerts. I need for you to support me mm. more than what you do. Tell me how you can get there. Tell me what's going, you know, tell me why am I feeling like yeah. talk like that. That yeah. was a major. I think what's I think what's also, I think what's interesting about that too, if you've ever heard of the five love languages and how, um, you know, one uh, maybe I'll do a, a a podcast episode. I can't remember if I did one, but I I said uh, the golden rule, something along the lines of uh, the golden rule is wrong or something like that. The golden rule is treat others the way you want to be treated, and the truth is, if you understand um psychology and not everybody re- accepts and receives love and appreciation the same it's love uh treat others the way they want to be treated you know I, I have a particular i learned about it in our relationship in that you know the way that i receive love is different from my wife and the problem in a relationship is is that i'm trying to give her love the way i want it and she's trying to give me love the way she wants of it once it, and both of us are like, you don't love me. You're not giving me the attention. And that's the same thing with in, in parenting is trying to figure out 
number one, back then they didn't talk like this or even know that, but, um, but trying to give my son, you know, uh, love and, and, uh, uh, you know, uh, attention the way that he needs it. Not that I think, you know, I'm doing what I think I should be doing. And so that's, uh, you're right that kids don't know how to do that. And even still back then parents, uh, parents didn't know that there's anything different. They probably thought they were doing the best they could and that was enough and you'd be fine. What's the big deal if I'm not there? I heard exactly. And um, something just, it keeps coming up in my head. So I want to say it before um, I forget to say it. Uh, Anybody that has alcoholism in the home, anybody that has drug addiction in the home, anybody that has any kind of addiction at all in the home, it's called a disease, but it causes dis-ease in every mm-hmm. member of the family. So it is a. In your, in your, in your experience, what are some of the other addictions that you refer to when you say, if there's any other addictions in the home, what do you, what do you mean by that for the listeners? Uh, tendency, which means people pleasing and um, mm. also being a manipulator, being a controller, yeah. uh, arrogance, haughtiness, being mm. prideful, um, Promiscuism and yeah. within the family, mm-hmm. and um, anger, and unforgiveness, and uh, I mean yeah. I, the list just goes on and on, and all. These- and I would also try throw in there, uh, Myrick is like um, you got drug and alcohol is the obvious, but like gambling, risky behavior, overeating. Um, uh, you know, debt, spending money, uh, workaholic, you know, those are very, very similar addictive behaviors that wouldn't necessarily be considered addiction. And a lot of times they're rooted in all the, the, the defects and struggles that you mentioned. And also it creates kids and families and parents with those things. And, and they, a lot of times it's difficult to diagnose it because we dress it up in other clothing, like we dress it up as, uh, you know, I'm not being manipulative. I care. I just care about you or I'm, I'm not people pleasing, you know, I'm just nice. I'm trying to help them, you know? So it's, it's, I think I feel like drug, drug addiction and alcoholism, those are the easy addictions. But if you really look at it and you realize how much addictive behavior is going on in households that may or may not even involve drugs and alcohol, it's shocking and it includes a lot more people than, than we realize. I agree with you on that. And depression, depression causes a lot. And, um, like, um, I'm, I am now eight years sugar free. Um, sugar addiction was a big thing for me. And, um, something I think that's really important to know or to put out there also is a lot of addictions are done, um, behind closed doors there nobody knows it or nobody sees it so for instance with me um what broke me god broke me because here i am i'm teaching celebrate recovery and what is it about addictions and i get up every other week because every other week we had testimonies and every other week we had lessons and uh here i am i stand up in front of these people every week and i talk about things that i've uh that I have 
things that I've done, feelings that I'm, I'm going through as a leader. And um, then, but I didn't ever talk about sugar. And one night I realized I was sitting in my house and I had just bought a brand new, I couldn't afford Keebler's um, Sandy's. And I sat down <laughs> and with a big glass of milk and I was sitting there watching TV. I was eating that instead of eating that God's up. He says, what are you doing? And I'm going, what? People think I'm crazy when I say this, but <laughs> this right. huh? came into my heart for that particular second. Doing, what do I have you doing? I talking to people about addictions and what are you doing? And I realized, because I, I was going to eat till I couldn't eat no more. And it was definitely right. affecting me. I was lethargic. I mean, I'd go lay down on the couch that I'd go lay down on the couch and go to sleep. I couldn't hardly think. I was mm. weak and I'm going, what is wrong with me? And so I said, okay, God, I quit. So I had only eaten about six of them, which was about probably 12 less than what I wanted. So, Joe, that's right. I'll say them. Yeah, really. Man. And I threw them in the trash and I said, okay, absolutely. And the next week, I picked up a chip. I picked mm. up a chip and I was the ministry leader. And I did that before my that wasn't chip night. I said, I have to do this. And I have a confession to y'all. I have clean sense. Um, what do you, uh, do you follow anything in particular for your sugar? Uh, uh, my good friend of ours there, she's really active in OA, Overeaters Anonymous, and they're really big in, you know, no, uh, no sugar, low, low carbs. You know, they're really uh, strict on that. Because um, uh, I, I too, I mean, I've struggled with food my whole life. I, you just can't tell because I'm a little bit more slender. But I tell you what, that sugar and carbs, man. I, I am, a, I'm an addict to towards that stuff. I, I obsess about it. I can't get it in me fast enough. I feel shame and guilt afterwards. Um, and so I'll use anything, even if it makes me feel worse, sugar included. So, what do you follow, or, or do you follow anything like that? Or you just don't eat eat sugar. Um, and, you know drinks or I, I found out what well I, I, I looked at what it is that triggers me uh I cannot eat a cake yeah. if somebody has a cake I'm going to eat far more than one piece if I bake the cake on me mm. um first of all mm. I had to figure out what is it that makes me do this what is it that I overeat for my sugar addiction and so it's cakes pies donuts candy bars um i never did like regular coke but they're too sweet anyway and yeah. um regular homemade mm. homemade ice cream oh what yeah and yeah. anything i had to figure out what it was that were that were my triggers and um, something about that also that mm. i realized there's an old saying for alcoholism what is it is um one is too many and a thousand's not enough. I understand right. that because if I take <laughs> one bite of a donut, 
it's on. That's the right. race is on. It's dusty. You, you know what's really insidious about that, uh, Myrick, is how when people hear things like that, and I did too, is they go, you know, I, I can have, because I believe without a shadow of a doubt, I can have one beer right now. One half of one beer, I can do, I can take a bite of something. But what happens is there are situations where I take the bite and next thing you know, I'm stuffing it in my face. But what's most common is I take that bite and something switches in my brain. And I start thinking, hmm, well, that was okay. Or I wonder when I'm going to get the next one. And it usually is a deep-seated obsession down in my subconscious that a week, two weeks, a month, somewhere relatively uh, soon, I'm going to take another bite or two. And then the binges come after that. You know, it's a it's a creep up for me uh, oftentimes. Do you have the same, have you experienced the same uh, uh, things in the past or that just a nibble right now and then days, weeks, months later, you have a big binge because of that, what that little nibble did to well, you? Well, this is going to sound real crazy to you. I can't do it. I can't do it. I, I can't uh, yeah, do well, it because say. I know, um, see, being in CR and made me, it made me accountable. So if yeah. I was going to, to binge, I had to be accountable to my sponsor. I had to be accountable before my group. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't want to admit that, mm. but I'm honest. And <laughs> I'm just yeah, not going to yeah. do it. But I do know that it didn't, it took several years, but I worked for Walmart, unfortunately. And I don't say that with any kind of pride at all. I hated Walmart, but where I was <laughs> anyway. And, um, but I had to go to the bakery because of the, because of the position I was in and I worked in the back of Walmart, but because of the position I was in ever so often, I have to go on the floor and I'd have to go to the different departments looking for whatever it was I was in search of and getting the information that I needed. And that meant that that was bakery too. And bakery smells really, really good early in the mornings when they've got those donuts cooking. Oh, oh my gosh. Well, there was one morning I had gone in there and I had to hurry up and get out because I was fixing to puke. And I went and all I, I, I ran away yeah. from it and I went to a water fountain and I got me a drink of water and I went, thank you, Jesus. The smell of it made right. me sick. I was so excited and everybody's looking at me like, where are you going? I go, I threw it. I'll be right back. I'll be right back. It's, and I said, I can't stand the smell of that. So you can't stand it. I go, nope. I've been away from it for so long. It's so sweet to me. It's yeah. so overpowering to me. It actually nauseates me and makes me sick. And I was in hog heaven. Right. I knew. I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt. I had it down. And I can't. And, and every once in a while, I will try, you know, to eat, but I'm cautious because even if I try mm. to do a bite, of it, if it makes, I can get that nauseated feeling really quick and I'm going, yes, it's still yeah. intact. So I don't, I just don't. So 
I'll tell you what, that's one of the, the absolutely one of the hardest addictions there is, is a food addiction. And, and just like there's drug and alcohol and everything else that everything is on a spectrum, but you know, I don't have to pull out my favorite drug and do it a couple of times a day. I don't have to, you know, I don't have to use drugs and alcohol to stay alive. And so, uh, you know, particularly those people that, uh, really struggle with overeating, bulimia, anorexia. It is such, such a tough disease. And that's why it's important to, once you get the awareness, which is what you're talking a lot about, Myrick, is, you know, the awareness, once you realize, oh my God, I am, a, I am codependent. Oh my God, I am looking for love. Wow, I am using sugar to change the way I feel. Once you get that awareness, now what? What? And a lot of times, particularly early on, you know, once a week ain't enough. You know, I need a sponsor. I need people in the support group I'm talking to on a daily basis. I might need a counselor or a therapist. I may need some more intensive treatment. But, um, you know, you got to do, you got to have, a, in my experience, a high-touch solution. Uh, for me, it was meetings every single day, calling people on the phone every single day. It was a lot of stuff. Now I don't need that as much, but, um, but that is food is definitely one of the hardest things. What were some of the other, uh, realizations that you had once you realized that, um, sugar was an addiction or that you maybe had more addictions than you thought? I thought, wow, God is good. And he loves me enough to show me what's wrong with me that it's not everybody else. Mm. And I was very codependent. Everybody in the neighborhood would call me for advice. Everybody always had the solutions. And I'm thinking, no, I don't have the solutions. I've done a lot of different things, but everybody thought solutions. Well, in my own home uh, with children, I had two boys that grew up in in my house. And um, I, I, I always wanted, uh, we raised them independent. I mean, very independent. They started, we lived on 11 acres in the country, and they had farm animal, animals to take care of. We had grass to mow. We had uh, home chores to do. We had all this kind of stuff. But I also was very heavily into their, into their schoolwork. But I also was a substitute teacher. But education is important to me. So whatever was important to me, I was to try, trying to instill in them and sometimes I'll look back and go, boy, did I overdo that, you know, because um, it was just mash <laughs> and mash and mash on them. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. And you've got to this and you've got to that. But I'm also, thank goodness, I'm not a perfectionist. So two and two, two, and two equals mm. four. And it doesn't matter how you get it, just as long as it equals four. So what I mean by that is yeah. fold the clothes, fold the clothes, get them in the drawers. And I don't care how you do it. I'm going to show you how to do it. But I don't care how you do it. Just so long as you get it done. When you go put them on the next day, you don't look like they've been in the bottom of a basket. You know? <laughs> right. That would be a, that would be a uh, done is better than perfect uh, mentality. And i tell you what, those highly critical, either whether it comes from the parent or yourself or that perfectionism, boy, that's a tough one, particularly when a parent's perfectionism uh, or my perfectionism uh, has me negatively influencing uh, 
those around me, whether it's my spouse or my kids. That is a that's a tough one. And boy, it sure looks pretty too when you got the perfectionist. They say things like they're uh, uh, they're just really accountable and they're really it's things are really important to them and having it done right. It sure looks good, but boy, it's a it's a crushing. A defect of character to have, uh, particularly when you're exactly. raising kids. Exactly, and, and that another on. word for perfectionism is what? Pride, arrogance, um, haughtiness. True that. Yeah, and uh, and, and exactly. I would even say insecurity because that's oftentimes why people are trying to be so per- perfect. They're perfectionistic, and and they have a hard time pulling triggers, and they as perfect as they are in a lot of ways, they also hold back quite a bit because if I can't do it perfectly. I'm not going to risk it, you know, and so you're right. It can be uh, a lot, oftentimes rooted in, in insecurity, fear, self-worth, but you're right. You can also use it as, as a uh, ego and, and uh, some of the other uh, defects. Exactly. That you, and that see, the thing to it is though, Preston, when, when we can call it what it is. Okay. Let's say overeating. Yeah. No, let's call it what it is. It's called gluttony. Okay, the Mm. first time I put that word in my mouth, I went, I'm a glutton. Oh, my. What? No, I don't. Mm. Overeating, I can handle. I eat too much that I can handle. No, let's call it what it is. Yeah, that's a good that's a good point, because, you know, Everybody can, uh, well, many, many people can identify with overeating or eating a, l- a little too much. And that's kind of a, that's very similar to, oh, we, you know, everybody's drinking. I just had a couple. And when people say I had a couple, a couple means eight for some people. Overeating means I ate two pizzas. But when you say you, particularly you have someone holding your, your, you accountable and you're able to, you know, uh, rely on someone or a group to point out no you're being a glutton i think that's a well that'll put a bad taste in your mouth and force you to kind of look at it or continue to act out um you know in spite of definitely and um yeah it's just it's really it's really strange but we're not in this we're not in life alone we're not alone and it doesn't matter what we struggle with and uh, it, it doesn't matter how deep it is or how shallow it is. We are not alone. And like you said a while ago, you talk about going to meetings yeah. every day. I went to, um, I went to two, I went to two Al-Anon meetings a week. And I went to two, I went to two AA meetings mm-hmm. a week. And I'm not an alcoholic. I'm a family and a friend of alcoholics. Yeah. But I wanted to hear their stories. I wanted to hear their side what caused them to do whatever and we we read the big book and i learned my my big book has a um a pink cover on it so when i would go into the meeting and set it down they go ah don't sit there that's marks that's the pink one that's marks yeah that's funny there's a lot of uh there's a lot of old Al-Anons that are, you know, been in recovery for a long time that, that go to, uh, to AA meetings and go to, um, you know, use the big book. And I also kind of think back when AA was founded and how the, right how the, the, the wives usually would drive the husbands to the, to the house. And then they, the guys would have their meeting in the living room and the, and the women or the, the spouses would be in the kitchen. And, uh, 
you know, and then realizing I, I, I've also often said too the impact, a lot of people underestimate the impact Lois had Lois Wilson, yeah. uh, Dr. Bob's wife was, she was the one that rounded them all up and said, Hey, look, we're just as bad as them. We've got our own stuff. Let's work while we're in the kitchen. Let's work on our stuff. They work on their stuff and dr- learn how to draw boundaries and, um, you know, relieve of this codependent, you know, uh, helper behavior, um, you know, putting everybody else's needs above ours. And that's kind of the, the that's where Al-Anon blossomed. That's what it blossomed from. I also think it's so important, too, uh, to look at the family, family recovery, prioritize family recovery, because um, there's a tendency to either A, you know, point the finger at the person that's got the more extreme behavior, whether it's drug and alcohol induced or not, and say, they've got a problem. If they would just fix it, we're fine. If they would just fix it, we'd be all, we'd be fine. And there's also a lot of, uh, a lot of this happens in the room is they don't, you know, I know a lot of guys, they don't want their wife getting into Allen on They don't want their, their spouse being in some sort of family recovery because it's going to, you know, their, their tricks aren't going to work anymore. Um, which I always find kind of funny, but you know, the fact that Sarah and I have a mutual foundation. Now we get to the answer very differently. We, we interpret things very differently. We, our disease, uh, our dis-ease kind of squirts out sideways differently, but the foundational principles that I'm really grateful for, um, you know, that, that are rooted in 12 step. And, and at the end of the day, we can usually come to some sort of common ground and that's uh you know that's just something that's so important when people are looking for help or trying to get their spouse help or kid help is the way you change your family is by changing you and if you can do uh if you can do stuff as a unit if you can go to couples meetings if you can do family stuff you're going to have a much better chance at um you know having a happy healthy uh, home as, as as happy and healthy as one could be um what so what happened after you realized uh you know you were you had the eating uh, realizing you had a uh, your sugar addiction what uh what kind of happened from there in your well recovery? it was just um it was another step for me because i had already uh i had already realized and considered myself to be an overcomer and duped from promiscuous behavior from codependency and I got to add that one to the list, my own personal sugar addictions and um, arrogance and um, haughtiness as well, because it doesn't get me anywhere. And um, so it's just it just it's a it's another feather in my cap of going, thank you, God, for revealing that to me. And I'm going to work on this and I'm going to accomplish mm. this. Because then that's part of my testimony. I have an accomplishment. And uh, I can where it started. I can Mm -hmm. tell you what happened to me during the events. And I can tell you how I am now. And that's what you call being an overcomer. And uh, and it's and and Mm -hmm. I'm thankful. I am not uh, arrogant about it at all. I am not uh, prideful about it at all. I am honored and I am privileged that my Father God Almighty loves me enough to show me what's wrong with me so that I can help others who also are struggling. How would you... 
Myrick, how would you say um, all of this has affected your family, uh, both while you were living in your dis-ease, maybe before your recovery, and then uh, over the years, how your recovery has, has positively uh, affected your family, or negatively for that matter, but um, well, any insight there? Um... It's kind of it's kind of a, a bad thing because I was I was married for 23 dysfunctional years to a very abusive man, and uh, he divorced me. He told me he was going to divorce me for 18 years out of 23, and he did. And I did not get into recovery until after I left him, or he left me, and which made he made me leave. But mm. then I got back into mm. church because I wasn't allowed to go to church. Mm. I wasn't allowed to go to any kind of meetings. I wasn't even mm. allowed to go to a movie with a friend. So knowing anything about program of any kind, I had no knowledge of it, of it at all because I was not really allowed. I was not allowed. So definitely yeah. there's been a tremendous um, progression and something that happened um as well in my life, I uh, had a daughter at the age of 18 who I gave up for adoption. And um, I always knew that she was going to find me if she had any blood in her at all, that she was going to find me. And um, God removed me from the horrible situation that I had put myself in. That's something else. God does not bless my mess. And I think that's an important statement that people realize. You may put yourself in a bunch of stuff. You may involve yourself in situations. God didn't put you in that situation. But he isn't always going to keep you from that situation. But he'll protect you during it. That's what he did to me. Exactly what he did to me. And um, I left in I left in December of 2006. My daughter found me March 2007. There's no coincidence about that. She was 34 wow. years old. There is no coincidence about that at all because she had looked for me for 16 years. Had she found me, I was still married. We would never wow. have had any kind of a relationship at all. God does his own, wow. his own timing. What was your... Uh, what- What would you say your your ex-husband's kind of did he have any kind of uh, addictive behavior? Obviously, there was control manipulation, strict, uh, you know, uh, I'm sure there was plenty of abandonment uh, built into there. Was there any any standouts? And what I'm getting at is, you know, oftentimes people that are looking for love in all the wrong places are looking to. Um, you know, find meaning in, in, in a relationship, usually they create that the the thing in which they say they don't want, which is abandonment, shame, guilt, and they end up staying in situations much longer than they ever should because they don't feel worthy enough uh, or, or for for any myriad of reasons. Was there any any standouts about that, or was well, when we when we were dating, he tre- he treated me like a princess, and um, it's always it always mm. told. Well, I told him after. It took me nine years to forgive him. We were married for 23 years, and it took me nine years to forgive him, which was most of my recovery years. 
So just keep that in mind. Uh, I, it was a lot deeper than what I realized. But um, I, I wanted us to work. Right. Uh, and his family was extraordinary. His, his dad beat his mom, and he beat me. And he was, uh, he was, his dad was ugly to his mom, mm. and he was ugly to me. I didn't know any of this. But he changed when we got mm. married. And then he took yeah. me out of my home environment and took me to Louisiana. Took me away from everybody I knew, everybody I loved. And um, this mm. was not my first marriage. And when I realized how things were, it was way too late. And I felt guilty. And I sure. look back now and I realize I stayed with him because I did not want to disappoint my daddy again. I did not another failed marriage. I did not yeah. want to have to go start over again. I left the best job I had. I was nine hours uh, college wise of sitting for my CPA. Nine hours. That's three classes. Mm. Nine hours. You know, that's, that's an interesting, uh, that, that, that is interesting because as, as challenging as, is, uh, as domestic violence is and, and, you know, these relationships where um, someone's being victimized, if you turn, if you turn it over, there's some, there's some also some ugliness with the participation Um you know, like that, that the insidiousness of not staying in a marriage that nobody would want you in because of shame, guilt, and wanting to disappoint someone else, you know, and not having the tools and skills to, uh, to, to do what you want to do, which is, which is not being an abusive relationship. And then also the insidiousness of, you know, self-worth. Sometimes people feel like that's all that they're, that's all that they're worthy of. You know, they're not worth anything else and they stay in a marriage long, whatever the, you know, uh, you know, insidious excuse or uh, roots it is. It's, it's, it's just so hard to put a finger on it whenever you're, someone's in I that. lost myself. Um, I lost so myself it, 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 100%. Yeah. And I did not realize just how much it disappeared. But I do. Uh, behind his back, right. I listened to a lot of sermons. I listened to a lot of uh, Christian music. Yeah. I spent a lot of time in my Bible. I spent a lot of time in prayer. And I honestly know that that is the only thing that kept me sane. Something that my mother told me when I was very little and she told me all my life. She said, never, never forget you belong to God. Never, ever, ever forget you belong to God. Mm. Okay, Mama, I won't forget that. Well, now I stand <laughs> tall and I stand, stand proud and I stand honored. Honored as a child of God. I'm a princess. I am royalty. And no matter what I do, <laughs> God, God separates our who from our do. That's Joyce Meyer. That's what, what, what tell, we tell me do. What that is. Tell me what that, that's about. Look at who we are is what he sees. 
and my heart, my heart belongs mm-hmm. to him. And I'm a kind, loving, caring person who is not uh, centered or selfish or anything like that. And I've gone through hell, but I've never let it affect me. I'm not, um, I'm not mean. I'm not hateful. I'm not cruel. And, um, and I'm very forgiving. God has taught me to be forgiving. And you know what the main thing is about that is, is perspective. It's all about perspective. I have been so mistreated. There was a, a woman that I used to work with that's just, oh my gosh, I could not say hello to her because Ow, I just can't believe a little Latin. Here'd she go. Right. And God came in <laughs> when during celebrate recovery and told me, he said, Mark, it's all about perspective. You don't know what's going on in her life. You don't know her background. You don't know where she's come from. Yeah. But the one thing about it, she's just vomiting all of her evilness onto you and you do not have to take it. Put up the shield. Do not receive it. Do not allow it to come upon you. And love her where she is. And pray for her. Is there anything in, uh, is there anything in Alan on or Celebrate that, that you've latched on to about, um, you know, in the ninth step, we talk about look at our part. And oftentimes the first time or a couple times through the ninth step, you realize, well, what do you mean? What's my part in having this lady be mean to me? But if you really dig with someone that, that has some, some skills like a sponsor, you know, you, you're able to identify, well, maybe I was, uh, maybe I was putting myself in that situation or maybe I did, um, you know, because I didn't feel worthy or I was trying to people, please, I put myself in the situation. I used, I've actually done that. And I kind of continue, you know, uh, do that at times where I will, as much as I'm afraid of angry people that, you know, one of the 14 traits in ACA talks about, we're afraid of angry people. I remember, growing up teenage years 20s uh you know on i would put myself around angry guys these kind of masculine guys that like to fight and uh i'd i'd put myself around them to make them like me and then wondered why they wanted to fight me and through some work through some step work i realized i actually put myself in those predicaments and those are some of the things that i remember most particularly around masculinity is how many times I got embarrassed at parties or by other guys, by, by them trying to fight me, me talking my way out of it. But, but I was too scared and, and, and I was too scared to get embarrassed. And then to boot, I put myself in those situations. Are there any, um, are there any Al-Anon principles or celebrate principles that you've kind of used to help work through that, to see your part and, um, and maybe some of these. Yes. And and a lot of it I have, I, I told you, that about looking for love in all the wrong places it was insecurities it's my own deep down insecurities of needing and desiring to be loved and to be wanted and to be needed and um with uh, this woman that i was telling about a while ago is she's just she's just evil and i was a threat to her because i'm because i'm a businesswoman I'm yeah. not a I'm not a Walmart background. 
I have education. I have accounting behind me. Mm. I have uh, construction behind me. I'm, I'm very well-rounded, and um, I'm also very out there. And um, as far as um, I, um, I get along with men better than I do women because I can just tell you what it is. And I can tell you, and you, know, you don't have to pussyfoot around anything and just yeah. dance around it. And uh-uh, I'm straight there, and I'm going to tell you what it is. <laughs> and I was yeah. a threat to her, and I know that. I look back, and I was a threat to her because I was actually more knowledgeable than her. And when I would approach her and ask her some questions she couldn't answer, it made her feel less than because she thought she was more than since she'd been there forever. You understand what I'm saying? So it created. It created an insecurity in her. Uh, yeah, I do. I do. Um, staying in an abusive situation, my first sponsor told me, she said, Myrick, I want to tell you something, and you need to hear this. I'm going, okay, because I'm thinking, here it comes. She said, like, no choice is a choice. I chose, I, I okay. did not make a choice. I just stayed in my situation. So I chose to leave. I chose not to oh, leave. Right. I chose oh, not yeah, to reach yeah. out to anybody else. I didn't let anybody know what I was going through. I hit that. I hid it from yeah. the people that I could hide it from. I yeah. hid it. And it was fortunate because I didn't need to hide it. Because my friends, my lifelong friends, they knew me and know me well enough to know that I was changing it. They knew it because I would go, oh, don't say that. No, don't. We can't go yeah. over there. No, be quiet. Don't talk, talk about this. And, you know, they, they know that's not me. Mm. But to keep me. From yeah. That's a, that's interesting. What, what great, uh, what great, uh, perspective from your sponsor, no choice is a choice. And, and that's, uh, wow, that's, uh, yeah, that's profound. Tell me about, tell me a little bit about this, Myrick. Um, you know, one of the topics that I cover a lot on this podcast, the name is called the high cost of anonymity. And what I make the argument for is number one, I want to make counseling therapy and support groups like CR and AA and, and other mental health support groups as common as hiring a personal trainer, dietitian, or going to a group fitness class. But one of the ways that we have to do that is by normalizing mental health and addiction, by breaking the stigma as a lot of people call it. But I feel like one of the failures of the recovering community and use that very, very broadly, or whether someone's covering from codependency, anxiety, depression, or drug and alcohol addiction is most, many, many, many people are, are scared to tell their recovery story. In other words, uh, I find it particularly in the 12 step recovery community, which is once you kind of come in and you get it and they go, Hey, you need to be, uh, you know, remain anonymous. Don't use your last name. You can't be a representative. And a lot of people misinterpret anonymity for privacy so we find solution we we uh you know we we change uh, our lives and then so many people keep their their recovery and this profound magic 
um, behind closed doors. And what I, what I would also say, and when I say the high cost, the reason there's a high cost is if my people that I work with, if people that I live close to, if people in my family don't know that I've got experience with mental health and addiction, how do they know they can reach out to me for help, whether it's for them or someone close to them? How do you feel about the, uh, you know, people learning how to share their story, learning how to use their their background and their quote unquote sinning behavior and lifestyle? And they've kind of found a, a way to change. How do you uh, feel about uh, how people should share that that recovery or how people should should they should they or shouldn't they open it up and then another thing i want to talk about after after that is you know how does how does this play out in the church in, in a in a uh you know as far as judgment or or how does anonymity play out in the church because just like with facebook and instagram and all this kind of stuff most people only put the highlights up and this isn't this isn't new we've been you know, we've been acting one way behind closed doors and a different way in public. In other words, what stay, what, what goes on in this house stays in this house or, hey, everybody put your clothes on, tuck your shirt in and smile when we go to church. But meanwhile, after church that, you know, God knows what's going on behind closed doors. So, so can you talk and give me a little bit of a glimpse? Sure. Um, into your and a minute. Uh, and, and I can never say it. And minute. And minute. <laughs> It's a, the, the bet. The, here's the, here's the best way for, for Myrick and, and the listeners, a friend of mine taught me, he said, say it just like a, a, a lady's okay. name. Her name is Anna Nimity. First name go. Anna, last name Nimity. That's right. Nimity. There you go. Anna is a good so friend of mine. Just remember Anna. Um, Anna Nimity. What that means, what it really means yeah. is that if you and I were in a meeting together, I do not have the right to go out and say, well, Preston said this. Did yeah. you know that Preston is part of AA? Or did you know that Preston comes to CR? That's where the anonymity comes from because yeah, can't talk about you. And it also yeah. is a great teacher because it gets everybody. <laughs> it's I love it because people would say, well, I'm. Um, I heard that so and so went to say went to celebrate recovery. Is that true? I don't know. You'll have to ask them. Well, you're the ministry leader. You can tell me if they showed up or not. No, I yeah. can't because that's a violation of confidentiality and anonymity. If you want to ask them, you can ask them any question you want to. You do not have the right to ask me that question because it's none of your business. And um, as far yeah. as that's that's what it is. That's all. Uh, that is so. That is just. I don't... How do how do you find how do you find? Because this is one thing that I try to teach my guys and, and and really model for people and teach people is I'm not sure where the line is. Usually, I kind of go around you know one to two years somewhere in there when it comes to being a little bit more public about one's recovery. Um, to be honest, you're the first person I've really talked to that has a 12 step, uh, group that's part of a church and the intricacies of that, um, uh, uh th that deal. But like, at cause I don't want, I don't think people should get sober or to start making changes in their life and then go blaring it out, um, before they get some recovery under their belt, before they're into some solution, 
you know, getting out and spreading the sickness uh, because very easily can people in the name of helping others or in the name of breaking their anonymity, they could go spew a bunch of bull corn uh, that, that I would call they're living in the disease. Um, I think it's important to have some solution to, to not be a, a, a bleeding deacon and, and a victim and all this kind of stuff. But I think it's important that if you've got experience being being in extreme mental health and you found a way out on the other side and now you're managing your mental health or you were down and out with drugs and alcohol and now you found a way out or you were down and out in a relationship and you found a way out uh, and you found a voice, people need to know about that because it's in that knowing that that they go, oh, wow, I don't suffer from drug and alcohol addiction, but I do struggle from uh, insecurity, people pleasing and control. Like they can't, they can't say me too, unless they hear you talk about it. They don't, they think the way they're living is normal until they hear your story and your testimony. Um, but I, I, it, it must be, it must be difficult in the church environment when they're kind of have a tendency to, to talk down about certain types of behavior that end you up in CR. First of all, um, I want to let you know that Celebrate Recovery is not connected to the church. So um, it is, if it's. Gotcha. It's just, it's, a, not, it's just a, a church. It, in, or a, a, exactly. A it is not a religious at a church. Like it's AA not does. a religious group. It is uh, a spiritual healing group. And what the bottom line is, if you stay with Celebrate Recovery and you gotcha. actually work the program, remember we were talking about working the program, okay? There's a big going to meetings yeah. for 14,000 years and actually working the program because when you work the recovery, you do it on a different day than, than what uh, the meeting is held. And you do it with a different group. Because it is very one-on-one mm. and it's extremely intense. And you have homework. And it takes a long time. It mm. takes it takes almost, uh, it depends on the group. If, if you've got someone that's really intense and really working on it, it could, yeah. take, uh, it could take six months. It could take nine months. It could take a year. It just depends. But the thing to it is, is you have to work the program. Yeah. If you don't yep. work the program, then you're not healing. Then you're then um, it's just like going to church. You can go to church every Sunday and you can go and talk about what you mm. heard in church. But if you are not working God's program in your life and changing, changing comes from the inside out. If you're not changing, mm. then you're not then who are you to talk about anything? Because you don't have a testimony. You don't have a story to tell. You don't, you can't tell somebody what you've been through yeah. if you've never been through it. Yeah. Did you, you make a, you make a really good point and thank you for the, uh, for the uh, correction about CR not being a part of the church. I just kind of, I, I mean, I'm, I made the assumption, which I know is incorrect because a lot of 12 step meetings meet at churches, which I always think is quite funny. And, and some of the other 12 step fellowships that are, you know, that, and they make a big point not to bring up, 
you know, different religious organizations or the Bible or whatever. But the funny thing is it's usually the churches that allow us to come in there. So I always think that's kind of a funny relationship. But um, t- tell me this, did your relationship, your spiritual relationship or your relationship with, with, uh, with God change from went before you found Al-Anon and CR? I've heard a lot of uh, Christians specifically that said, you know, I know God, I believe in God. I've been a churchgoer for 30 years. I've studied the Bible. I've led the Bible studies. And then they say something really profound happened when they joined uh, a 12-step fellowship or some spiritually based fellowship where they said, I thought I knew God, but I met God in the rooms of AA Absolutely. or whatever. Did you have any kind Absolutely. of experiences in that area? Because I realized just how, how many change? flaws I have. And I realized, I, I started realizing all the flaws. I already had a relationship with God, but I, I it wasn't, wasn't nearly, uh, mm-hmm. I, it was a, uh, an acquaintance. Okay. It's an acquaintance. Yeah. It was an acquaintance. Yeah. Maybe more like um, surface level. Definitely. Because that's what celebrate recovery is yeah. all about is, teaching you tools, teaching you lessons on how to become more Christ-like. No, we're not. We will never be perfect. So you, that's the mm. first thing is you let that go. You learn, how, you learn how to let that go. Because, you know, it's kind of like um, going to any kind of a meeting at all, Go well. I, I can't go to church because I'm such a sinner. I drink and I smoke. I this and I what? Go to church. You'll change. Mm. Um, I've had people come to CR yeah. and they were drunk. <laughs> right. So long as they were not uh, disruptive in the group, I yeah. did. I knew they were drunk, and I did call them off to the side when we started dismissing to our small groups. And I said, I'm sorry. You have permission to sit in the group tonight, sweetheart, but please do not share. It's the only thing I'm asking of you because um, you're, I know where yeah. you are. You're not fooling yeah. me. And uh, I'm asking you to sit and listen, but please do not share. And I would tell their leaders, do not allow them to share. And if they do, you call me. I'm coming because I'll go get them out, get them out of the group. Because I have to keep my group safe. Mm. Sure. I think that's an important uh, uh, thing for a lot of the listeners, especially that that don't have any experience with 12 steps is, um, you know, a lot of times, you know, they're the the down and outs. They're the the colorful, the people that that uh exactly uh, in your words the people that jesus would hang out with you know the the, Lawyers. the gamblers the prostitutes or whatever and you know the power of the, the yeah right throw them in there huh? but the power of having number one group but an experienced group because we don't want to run off people that are under the influence and and we can there are times where people are being disruptive and they need to be shut down but the power of having uh, a good chairperson or a 
or a, a group where there's people with a, with good recovery, they can help manage that. We don't have to run people off. We want to fan the flame of desire. We want to welcome those people that are struggling because if they weren't struggling, they wouldn't be sitting in the chairs and we don't need to run them off. We need to, we need to, uh, keep them at arm's length with love and, and bring them in and hopefully I, tell them to come back. I, come I back remember sober. one night I so had a young good, lady uh, come in and she message. was so broken. She couldn't even stop crying and she was disruptive because she was crying. Well, we went through our, we went through our normal meeting and when it came time to dismiss mm. us to go to our small groups, I asked, I, I said, come stay with me. You and I are going to have our own meeting. And I went into a, an entirely different part of the building so if she wanted to scream holler rant and rave whatever she needed to do no mm. one else could hear her and she and I stayed there until our meeting was over at eight o'clock mm. people were looking for me okay meetings over at eight o'clock i didn't leave there mm. till 10 <laughs> i could not leave her i couldn't and if i'd had to wow. be there till two i would have but that's Another yeah. about recovery, when you have people yeah. that are sponsors, sponsors are people that have been through recovery, that they have been through the programs. They know they have sobriety. They have a longevity. They have whatever it is that they've been there. They've done that. And that's what sponsors are. Then you have accountability partners. That's someone that's on your same level might be a little bit different than you. But still, is that shoulder that you say, you call and go, you know what? I'm fixing to go into the refrigerator. And before I do, I wanted to call you. Okay, we'll go outside. That, that accountability partner goes, no, 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 no. Don't go get in the refrigerator. Mm. Uh, have, talk to me. Sit on the couch and talk to me. Tell me what's going on. And a sponsor will go to the house. Yeah. You know, that's a... That's a um one thing I was thinking about is Dr. Drew talks quite a bit about, it's got a podcast and, and um, Dr. Drew from celebrity rehab. And he really gets uh, bent out of shape at how the medical community, yes. he wishes the medical community would rely more on 12 step um, and yeah. gets a bit turned. He gets uh, upset because they want to treat addiction and all this other stuff medically and i get that and we need that and people need the medical side of it but but the support groups like cr and uh, uh other 12-step fellowships they not only do they do it for free but it helps them so the fact that they can go to a group and you'll hang out with them for those extra hours and you can build support groups and accountability partners and you can ask someone that's been there before and they'll talk to you at one in the morning. You can't get a doctor to do that. And although many people will need some combination of, I feel like it's a shame that, uh, and I want to, I want to bring light to the importance of having, uh, some sort of volunteer support group that meets regularly. So you can use it in addition to particularly when you're, uh, early in recovery and you may be in some sort of uh, treatment center or seeing a therapist or, or having some sort of uh, uh, prescriptions that you've got to take that the, the value of having people that have known that know where you've been and that will sit with you as long as you need and come pick you up at one in the morning when you want to use and give you fun things to do and learn how to live without 
the codependent relationships or without the drugs and alcohol or without the, the, the behavior that people are participating in, but don't necessarily love, uh, don't necessarily love and they're trying to stop, but they can't. So that's a, that's a good, um, I feel like that's a good uh, thing to point out the value of support uh, with no strings attached. Exactly. And that's why I honestly believe that I always say this. I said, if, if, if everybody in the church would go to celebrate recovery, then God would God would be doing His major work because see <laughs> that CR is God's program. I know it in my own personal yeah. life, and I use the tool. I'm not telling you tools because I want you to go. Um, I, I learn tools that I use every day. Yeah. I have um, celebrate recovery. It's a for, it's a forever family, and I have them. They're all over the United States, and some of them I have met just once. We all stay in touch, and um, and through Facebook or whatever. But there's one thing I do know. I don't care. I know somebody that's um, they're in in um, in Colorado. I could pick up that phone. And I can call them and say, I need you. And they're going to walk me down. They're going to talk to me and do whatever. Or if, if I really needed them, they'd fly down here and come help me. That's for family. Yeah. Yeah. You, there's, there's the, there's a com, there's a, a camaraderie in like, uh, you know, whether it's, uh, metaphorically speaking, there's a camaraderie in the shipwreck. There's a camaraderie in the battle and the war and the, in the, um, you know, even thinking wow. back to, uh, September 11th, you know, uh, of like people know where they were and who they were with right. and who they helped. And there's like a common bond that stuck forever. And that is what, that is not only what happens in a lot of these support groups, but, it's imperative to happen if you want to a chance at long-term recovery, if you suffer from the ailments that we talking about. And, and if you, I, I feel like once a, you know, one thing that you've helped me with Myrick is and, and help the listeners with is how, how gray, how many different outlets the disease can take on that dis-ease that, that looking for love, that looking for, um, you know, meaning and purpose and that that may or may not have anything to do with drugs. I feel like that's so important because so many people say, well, I don't have a problem with alcohol and I don't have a problem with drugs. So that wouldn't, that wouldn't help me. And they have no, they have nothing to gauge it by that. They might be living in a way that could be dysfunctional, codependent, uh, rooted in fear, insecurity, and low self-worth. And so I really, uh, I really appreciate your perspective from from I love uh, who I am uh, from from your background. I didn't experience. always I wasn't always be able to say that. But I I love who I am because God is in me. He shows up daily and he's given me permission to do what you and I are doing right now. And uh I could not I I, I could not yeah. say anything that I say um, to hardly anybody and uh, without him 
And the most important thing is we always yeah. have to remember we do not have value because of other people in our lives. We have value because of the almighty father, God who created us and we are his children. And Jesus Christ is our brother. Not only is he our savior, our shepherd, our partner, our friend, our teacher, he's our brother. And my brother, and I miss my brother. And Jesus means an awful lot to me. And I'm not being disrespectful, but I have a very, God is my daddy. My daddy was a wonderful man. I could crawl up in his lap and cry in his arms. <laughs> and guess what? I can do that with my father, God. But I know who I am. And when I finally realized that, it became the most important thing in my life. I'm going, wow. It's not that it's not who I am to you. It's who I am to him. That's what's important. You know, you bring up some you bring up some really good points and I, I think that's one of the reasons I um was drawn to uh to ask you on the podcast is is how many different variations of recovery help service uh that are out there that there's no chance in heck that I would ever get to some of these people but you can and your messaging might not land with one group but it lands with your group and and how you know that's why I tell newcomers man I'm like you I we need you we need you to come back because there are newcomers and people that are struggling that are going to come in after you that I can't get to and Myrick can't get to and Peter can't get to, but you can get to. And if you don't come in and stay clean and change your life, you know, you're going to be robbing them of the help. And so it's um, it's just so important, I feel like, to have um, people come on and share their story, share their testimony and give a bit of perspective, because there are people that that um, that need to hear what you're talking about. And I really just appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your story before we uh, get out of here. Cause we need to wrap up Ms. Myrick, but um, is there anything that you want to plug? Is there anything we didn't talk about, um, you know, work or any, anything else? Is there anything that you want to plug or leave the listeners with, whether it's a uh, something personal or, 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 or selfish, do whatever, give, get, you got an opportunity. You got the floor to, to leave us with the I message. I think something that has uh, been very like important to, to me is to, um, God says, love one another as I have loved you. We don't have to like everything that somebody does, but God asks us to. And like I said a while ago, when we're talking to people, somebody might be mean and ugly and hateful or uh, really rude or whatever, but pray for them. Don't judge them. Pray for them because we don't know where they've come from. We don't know what's going on in their life that's making them feel the way they do. But if you shine, if you're a light and you shine and you're not ugly and you don't respond in an ugly manner, even though they're treating you in an ugly manner, they're going to remember you. Smile. Ask them how their day is going, if there's anything that you can do for them. 
you'd be surprised. Sometimes they're, they're very uh, receptive and sometimes they're not. And also something else is how important is it? How, imp how important is it that you say what you're going to say? Mm. How important is it that you react the way you're going to react? Yeah. How important is it? Is it going to be beneficial or is it going to bring somebody down? And women, and women, stay out of your man's life. I think life. that's one of the, oh, go ahead. Leave him alone. Leave him alone and let him be a man. You're a woman. Stay out of that business. Be the woman. He's the man. He's supposed to be head of the household. Relinquish that right and let him be who he's supposed to be. Because that's I think you bring it. You brought up a good point, which I'm, I've heard my wife say quite a bit. Which, but you know, in 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 my rooms, they would say or circles, they say, "Do you want to be right or do you want to be happy?" And I think there's an Al-Anon phrase about uh, doesn't need to be said, doesn't need to be said right now, and doesn't need to be said by me. And I think that has um, it's such a good message. And I've also just personally benefited from not only having a sponsor and a, and a, a support group that helps me kind of determine, cause I could very easily convince myself that it needs to be said. It needs to be said now and it needs to be said by me. Um, and, and through that support group and, and doing some work, uh, working the program, I've also, um, you know, developed some as much insecurity and fear that I can easily be run by. I also got enough confidence to, to maybe not take some of those things uh, personal. Cause I think in what you're talking about, when people are being rude or, or mistreating you, there's an element of you can easily dress that up and make it look like you're turning the other cheek, but deep inside you just feel worthless. And there's also the ability to feel whole and to be able to respond as opposed to react or pretend like you're reacting in a nice productive way. So uh, yeah. I think that's a good message that you that you're parting uh, parting with us. Um, but anyway, hey, I uh, I'm so grateful that you came on and I look forward to maybe having a couple more conversations with you because I'd like to dig into the family a little bit. Get some uh, just it was it was really refreshing to kind of hear your uh, yeah, just what you shared about. Sure. The Anytime. And I'm, offline, you ever uh, want me back? That, I'm here so much for coming on my <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Hey, fam. Thanks for listening. Uh, and don't forget, uh, ratings, reviews, subscribe on Apple iTunes, Apple Podcasts. And uh, we also have a Facebook community. It's called the High Cost of Anonymity Facebook group. Uh, feel free to join us. We'd love to hear from you. Love you.